Good morning. Can't think of a place that I would rather be than right here with all of you. So it is sure good to be together this morning. I want to start by bragging on someone a, l- a little bit this morning, um, her and her team. If, if you have uh, showed up recently, um, maybe placed a membership here at Oldham, rec- Oldham recently, you know how uncomfortable it can be to be new in a place where there are so many faces. And one of the ministries that Lech McMullen is really passionate about is putting together welcome baskets and taking those to everyone who places membership here at Oldham Lane. She has a team that works with her, and it's a really an extending of an olive leaf, a way to welcome someone into the family, help them get to know, and to really get us in a position where we can develop relationships and put people to work. We're so grateful for Lech and her team and the work that they do. You know, there's so many things that happen behind the scenes every day that probably most of y'all didn't know about. And, and that is one of them that we are grateful for. You know, it's 2023. A lot of people are making New Year's resolutions. And I hope that this next year, as you're looking at it, you're trying to find a place where you can serve. You know, if you have been a consumer, it's time to be a contributor. And we want to help you do that. There's a lot of ways here that you can do that. We are in week two of our series, I Am Jesus, where we're examining the I Am statements that are delivered to us in the Gospel of John. So I would like for you all to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. Our key text is in chapter 8. We're actually going to start in chapter 7. So open to John chapter 7. And while you're doing that, I want to ask this. How many of you enjoy camping? I, I love to go camping. For the most part, I mean, you definitely give up some creature comforts when you go camping. The idea is fun. The reality is it's not very comfortable, and you usually don't sleep very well, and you have to make a lot of concessions that we're not used to making, but it's worth it to get to experience nature firsthand, or at least I think that it is. I grew up with my family going out to the Abilene State Park. We would do a lot of camping out there. I think that I could probably still ride my bicycle down those trails blindfolded. I spent so much time at the state park. But then I got into high school, and James took us to Colorado, and we had some pretty epic camping trips up, up in the mountains, I'm telling you. We could, we could start telling stories about that, and I would kidnap y'all, and you would be mad at me. Um, probably the most remote camping I've done has been a, with a group of our friends here the last couple of years. We'll go kayaking, and we kayak down the Devil's River and camp on these uh, little islands along the river as we go and spend three days away from civilization. There is just something about camping that is unique. What's your favorite part about camping? My favorite part is for sure the campfire. You know, I love building the campfire and smelling the campfire and cooking on the campfire and warming myself around the campfire. And there's something about the the glow that a campfire gives off that's just a different type of light, a different type of warmth. It's something that just causes everyone together and congregate around it. And, and I enjoy that element of it so much. As I was preparing this lesson, I was thinking about the biggest fire that I've ever seen. James is going to probably remember this one, too. Because one time at Winston Olhausen's house, we had a bonfire with the youth group that was like no fire. The mesquite heat fire, I think, came close. But this one lit up. They were getting phone calls to the Abilene Fire Department wondering why the sky south of town was glowing orange, and it was from this youth group bonfire that we had at Winston Olhausen's house. It was an amazing thing to get to see. 
You know, the light switch has kind of ruined our awe and wonder at the marvel of light. It used to not be so easy to light up the sky like that. Have you ever tried to read by a campfire or to read by candlelight? You know, we take for granted how easy it is to light up a room. Perhaps one of the most valuable things about camping is it reminds us how easy we have it. You know, if we want the light to be on, we just flip the light switch. If we are a little bit uncomfortable with the temperature, we change the thermostat. We have a refrigerator that keeps all of our food at a safe temperature and we don't have to worry about it. We don't worry about the storms and we don't worry about predators because we have homes that are secure and safe and keep us isolated from the elements. You know, the Israelites also needed a yearly reminder of how easy they had it. So God instituted a special feast for the Israelites called the Feast of Booths. It was established in Deuteronomy chapter 16, that's where we hear about it first, but probably our most detailed instructions were given in Leviticus. And here's what God tells the Israelites, Leviticus 23, 39 through 43. He says, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. And on the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days in the year. It's a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that your generation may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So basically... One of the, the biggest feasts on the Israelite calendar was an extended camping trip meant to remind them of their time in the wilderness. Their booths would have been these square tent-like structures that they covered with leaves and, and filled, with, uh, and filled with, with, with pillows, and they would sit around the table, and that's where they would essentially live for a full week. It reminded them of this time of transition that they had gone through, this time when they had to rely daily on God's provision, a time when darkness seemed to ever threaten their existence. They had no home, they had no water, they had no food, and they had no direction. So each day they built a temporary shelter, and they drank water provided from a rock, and they ate manna that came down from heaven that they gathered each morning. And a pillar of fire lit the sky at night and told them each night where they would camp. That's what they thought about during this Feast of Booths, during this eight-day-long feast with a Sabbath rest on each end. As we look at historical writings that kind of help us understand more what it was looked like, we, we learn that in, with the Feast of Booths, some, some things were added later on. Later on, they instituted a water-drawing ceremony. This water-drawing ceremony would happen at the beginning of each day of the feast. And according to sources, this water-drawing ceremony was one of the most joyful celebrations that the Israelites ever took part of. And in the evening, we learned that they had a, another ceremony, a torch-lighting ceremony. It said that there were four torches in the temple courtyard, and they would light those four torches, and the light for them was so bright 
Uh, it reminds me of, of Winston Olhausen's bonfire. It said that it would, it would emit a glow throughout all of Jerusalem so much that every person's courtyard could see the glow from the lamps in the temple courtyard. So here we have Israel camping for a week in the city, surrounded by their spiritual family, surrounded by these powerful images and reminders of God's provision of water and light. And that's where we find ourselves this week in John chapter 7. I want to start our text in verse 1 of chapter 7 and give ourselves a little bit of context. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple. And began teaching. All right, so what do we learn here? Well, the setting is the Feast of Booths. It's this, this massive festival where they've gathered up and they've all built these little tents. And unlike last week, we see some differences. The crowd is a little bit different. Last week, Jesus was in the wilderness. This week, Jesus is in the town. And we see that he's surrounded by the religious elite. So we see the Pharisees and the chief priests because there's this massive religious festival going on. And we learn several things about the people. They were split on what they thought about Jesus. Not even his own family believed in him at this point. And they were really expecting him to show up at this major event. Expecting him to show up and see if he really was who he claimed to be. If this man who really did these things in the wilderness was going to come and show his face in this environment. So Jesus attends privately for about half of the feast, and sometime on the third or fourth day, he stands up and he starts teaching. Now, as we read through this passage, we see in verse 15 that he had an incredible understanding of the law and the prophets, so much so that it became very quickly obvious that this was the person everyone had been talking about. As he teaches, the people begin to realize this, and, and we see that the leaders want to arrest him, but the people are kind of split on the issue. And so this, this water start churning at this feast. Um, you know how people get when they all get together. There was a lot of tension. There was a lot of debate. There was a lot of chatter, and they were trying to figure out who he was and what he was doing. All of this goes on until the last day of the feast. Look in verse 37. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because the Jesus was not yet glorified. So knowing what we know about the Feast of Booths, 
about the morning rituals, this bold statement by Jesus would have come immediately after the water rites had begun the last day of worship. They would have just brought back water from the pool of Siloam. The priest would have carried the water with a procession of Israelites stringing behind them. And as they carried this bowl of water into the temple courts, trumpets would have sounded and they would have taken the water and they would have poured this water over the altar. And as they poured it, all of the Israelites would have started singing in Psalm 113. And they would have sang the Psalms all the way through to Psalm 118. And when they got to Psalm 118, where the psalmist proclaims, Give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. The Israelites' voices would have gathered together in unison. Give thanks to the Lord. We read about the, the writer saying, You have not seen joy until you have seen the water rite ceremony at the Feast of Booths. Joy would have marked this occasion. And it's on the hills of this ceremony, this pouring out of the water, this, this bubbling over of joy by the whole Israelite community that Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst." Let him come to me and drink. You can see how that would have escalated things. You can see how the people who are already divided would have become more so. Some begin saying he's the Christ. Others say that he can't be. He can't possibly be because they don't know his true history and his background, the way that his birth fulfilled Scripture so perfectly. So the chief priests and the Pharisees, they double down and they want him to be arrested. And Nicodemus wants to give him a fair hearing and name calling starts to happen. And everyone's getting mad at each other. And this goes on for the rest of the day, but we get to the end of the day and nothing has happened. So the torches would have been lit. And we know this because in verse, chapter 8, verse 1, we see the woman caught in adultery was brought to him early in the morning the next day. So the torches would have been lit. It likely means she would have been brought in on the Sabbath day, the eighth day of the festival, the day after the last feast. She would have been caught and brought in under the blazing lights of the four torches from the temple courts. The lights that lit the city, that lit up the booths and the tents that they were staying at. All night long, they would have heard music and dancing and celebration under the light of these torches. But as the lights were put out, and extinguished the next morning. And as the Pharisees slowly backed away from this sinful woman being called out by Jesus for having sinned themselves, Jesus would stand up and speak again in chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. And you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. I am the light of the world. Now, last week, Jesus spent the rest of the chapter explaining this, his I am statement when he said, I, was the, I am the bread of life. But this time... This time everyone was well aware what Jesus meant when he made this statement. And he spends the rest of the chapter arguing that it was true. In fact, in chapter 8, verse 30, we see the result of this. Many of them believed, and, and this is why I preach to you today, because I want to be sure you believe this. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. You can have the light of life, he proclaims. 
I'm the light of the world. The lights that shined all night, the lights that you danced under, the lights that melted the darkness away while you celebrated, the light that reminded you of God's direction in the wilderness, the the pillar of fire, that's me, Jesus says. When God spoke the earth into existence in Genesis 1 with the words, let there be light, and God proclaimed it good, that's what Jesus was claiming to be, ultimate goodness. That's me, Jesus said in this statement. When God showed up and the the temple was so full of his glory that the priest couldn't even minister, probably because of the light, that's me, Jesus said. When David proclaimed, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? This was what Jesus was claiming to be. That's me, Jesus said. When the psalmist proclaimed, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, This is what he was claiming. That's me, Jesus said. When the prophet Isaiah proclaimed, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is what they thought of. That's me, Jesus was saying. You thought that the lamp shined bright last night. But buckle up, because the light is here. Not a light, not someone pointing you toward a light. The light is here. And apparently John really embraced this metaphor because it made a big enough impact on him that when he began his gospel, he led it with this idea and this truth. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him not anything was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light, the the light of the world, the light that dispels darkness and gives life has arrived. Do you remember several weeks ago when we saw the prophecy of Zechariah as John was born? We saw the motif of God visiting, and at the end of his prophecy, he spoke to John directly, and he said this in Luke 1, 76, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The sunrise shall visit and it's going to melt away the shadow of death and guide our feet into the pathway of peace. Church, our lesson this week is really the same lesson that we received last week, repackaged with a different metaphor. God created a means for us to have life. He created light so that life could happen. In Christ was life, the light of men. When God visited, he would dispel death with light. Light does so many things. One of the first things light does is it reveals. You know, when I was a kid, one of my favorite outings, I think, that we took, and we did this several times, was to go to Longhorn Caverns. It's kind of down in the Kingsland area. 
And at Longhorn Caverns, they would take you through the tour of the cave, so you would get to see all sorts of cool things. You kind of get to smell that underground smell, and it gets cool, and it just feels different. And as you walk, it feels creepier and creepier and creepier as you just kind of descend into the bowels of the earth. And then at the end of the tour, you get to this room, and they set everyone down and, and be sure that you're seated, and the guide turns off the light. And you experience true darkness. That's a powerful thing to experience if you haven't experienced it. I mean, we're used to darkness, but not like full darkness. You can hold your hand directly in front of your eyes and you can't tell that it's there. It might as well be a mile away. You know, the world lives with a a constant degree of spiritual light. Very seldom do we see true and utter darkness. We, We don't live in total darkness. Hell will be total darkness. Heaven will be full light. Our eyes only function as designed when light is present. As much as we love light and can't function without it, we often have areas in our life where we prefer darkness. There are times when we run away from the light. Have you ever just turned the light off in a room in your house instead of cleaning it? I've definitely never done that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a lot easier sometimes just to ignore things. You know, we run away when we don't want to deal with something. And I'm convinced that this is the primary reason people reject eternal life. Because the darkness allows them to ignore the mess. Light reveals what needs to be fixed. It also reveals the pathway to peace, as Zechariah told us. Have you ever driven down a remote, dark road at night and just as an experiment turned your headlights off for just a moment? I don't recommend it, but it's kind of a creepy feeling um, to all of a sudden have no idea of where you're at and not be able to see. It's creepy to move forward when you can't see what's ahead. Light shows us the path, and it also shows us where the path is not. Light gives life. You know, the result of traveling down the right path is life. If you try to drive down the highway without headlights in the dark, you are eventually going to run off the road and die. But with light, something else happens. With light, we become able to navigate because we can see. We are given life when we are given light. Life couldn't exist without light. There are certainly a handful of animals that are uh, adapted to live in darkness. Most of them are at the bottom of the ocean. But our ecosystem depends on light. Light is sent to earth and through photosynthesis it's turned into biological matter. I mean, life literally depends on light. The first thing that God created was light and he proclaimed it good. Biologically, light gives life and it does so spiritually as well. John 1.4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. Our souls take spiritual light And they draw life from it, just like the plants draw life from the sun. We draw life from the truth of Christ. And finally, light comes from a source. You know, the other day I was uh, in the restroom at work and the power went out. So unlike most of our uh, homes that have some sort of small window or light source, in the bathroom in the office there is no window and no light. And I was really thankful that we all carry flashlights in our pockets now on the back of our cell phones. 
Um, it really is a handy thing. You know, most modern thinkers would, would look at this list and they would agree on some level with my first two statements. I mean, we need to see to make wise decisions and light reveals. We need to be filled with life-giving things and so light gives life. Our spiritual stomachs know that we need those things, but what we disagree on is the source. Church, I think the world wants us to use the equivalent of a cell phone flashlight to navigate the darkness. When God has given us access to the light. Not just the sun, but the one who was responsible for creating light before the sun existed. The contrast between your cell phone and the sun is on par with the contrast between the sun with a U and the sun with an O. Jesus tells us this today, you will not find what you are looking for anywhere else. I am the light. Jesus is the objective source of truth. He's come from God and he reveals to us where we should and should not go. And he guides us to life everlasting. Are you afraid of the dark? You know, last week I think I ruined all of our children's brains because I told them we have two stomachs. So, sorry about that, parents. So, I want to be extra careful how I approach this one. So, I remember when I was young having some moments when I was afraid of the dark. I also remember how my fear came from feeling alone. But when I was reassured that my parents were close by protecting me and that I was safe, I could go to sleep and not feel scared. When it's dark, there are really only two ways to not be afraid. To have something powerful there to protect you, or to have a light that melts it away. And church, I believe we have both. Jesus is, is like the torch that's lit in the temple court, and, it, and his, his truth reaches to every patio of every city dweller in Jerusalem and Abilene and the world. Jesus exposes the reality of sin and shows us the weakness and futility of Satan. Jesus lights up the room and shows us where we should step and where we shouldn't step. Jesus shows us God and therefore shows us life. We live in a time when there is darkness all around us, but we don't have to be afraid of it because we don't have to deal with it like the rest of the world does. We hear the coyotes in the distance and we see the shadows and we interact with people who live in darkness and are terrified, but we can live illuminated by the light of the world, the true light, the light of the world, the light that dispels darkness and gives life has arrived. Jesus is the light of the world to the fullest extent of the term. The creator, the source, the revealed path, the essence of goodness, and the source of objective truth. You know, the rest of chapter 8, Jesus makes a case for why he has the authority to make this claim. And then we read this in John 8.30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. I hope you believe this. When you are drawn to the darkness, and we all are at times, I hope you remember that life is in the light. When you are drawn to the dim glow of other sources like a mosquito being pulled into one of those zapper lights, 
When, when you feel that pull, I hope that you will remember that the light of the world is Christ, and in Him is life. This man, born of the Virgin Mary, was God in the flesh, and He delivered truth and salvation to His believers. And His claim wasn't empty. It's true, and this promise of life is the reason that we follow Him. You know, you can live in the shadow of death, or you can bask in the light of life. The choice is yours. We stand here today ready to baptize a believer in the pattern of the New Testament. So if you have put off joining yourself to Christ, if you've put off placing yourself in the light of life for all eternity, then today is the day. I hope that you won't delay. I hope you will take care of that. If you'd like to study more, we would love to do that with you. If you found yourself drawn back towards darkness and you need the prayers and support of the church, or if you have any other need, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.